Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Stevenson for three. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kutch with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning his Brissett. Outs it all. It's it to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. What is going on? We are back for part two of the mailbag, and Fachi is joining us. Once again, Fachi is back on the mic, ladies and gentlemen. He has been itching. Bro, I got to ask you. Why the lice reference on social media? I I was just thinking, I was like, man, I am itching. And then I just started thinking of like lice, chicken pox, like, you know, fleas. And I was ticks. It was nothing good, but I could (laughs) not wait to get back on the mic and talk about the boys. And here we are for a little mail day action. Well, your comeback came sooner than Miles Turner's this year, as we already talked about. He is out for the remainder of the season, but let's get into it. This comes from Chris Weech at Chris of Prod. He said, do you think the Pacers front office will draft or fit or go best player available? Also, will they lean for a single or go home run swing? I know the risk of swinging for the fences, but I feel like the risk is worth it, especially with this group. You have to go best player available. Look, the Pacers, I feel like they, they've, they've said they've done that in the past when they took Goga. They said they had him way higher on the board. But, like, look, you never know who's going to be on the roster. Look at the turnover the Pacers had even the past year. Barely any of these players even played for Bjorken last year. You know, just a handful of them. So things change quickly. I don't ever want to make a decision on being like, well, we can't take a guard. Like, Buddy Heald's on the team, or like Brogdon. It's like, no, no, no. Like, you get the best available player that's over there, and then we'll work it out because in the NBA, I mean, things change quick. We thought we were going to probably have Paul George for 15 years. That didn't happen. Victor Oladipo, we probably thought the same thing. That was that was even less. So take the best player available. Do not, I think this Pacers team cannot play it safe because you don't know when we're ever going to be back here picking this high. It's been 30-plus years and I think you got to go for it. Yeah, no, I agree with that fact. But let me ask you this. Let's just say Jalen Duran is the top player on the Pacers board at the time that they pick. I, I, Are I you one five. best player available? No, I mean, I, I want to know who came up with that board. That's what I want to know. <laughs> hey, I mean, he's got the talent. Yeah, he's a talented player, but I don't think we're talking top five. 
I mean, Rafael Barlow had him mocked a four on one of his earlier this year to the Thunder. So I'm just saying coming I'm, into the year, he was definitely ESPN one of had the him top at seven. ESPN had him at seven on theirs today. They actually had the Kings taking him, which made zero sense to me because they just traded for Sabonis. It's classic Kings, though. You know, I know. But, like, let's just say the Pacers are, like, pick. seven or eight. And let's just say Jalen Duran's like, number one on their big board. Is that who they take? I think you got to do a little bit of both. That's Of course, of course. It's got to I mean, be best player available and then add TMS to it. And that stands for that makes sense. <laughs> best yeah. player available, that makes sense, okay? So uh, B, B Patums, I don't know how you say that, but it's uh, it's just how I would say the acronym. But B-P-A-T-M-S, for best player available, that makes sense for the team. I understand going for a home run swing and playing it safe, you know, whatever. I think at that point, though, if you're in the lottery and you feel like if we get this guy, he can be an all-star level player, then you take him. But if you if you see a guy that you think could be a superstar level player, and you're a little bit nervous that he could be a superstar or a bust, do you play it safe and take the all-star? Probably so in that case. But if you're talking about a guy that's maybe a bench guy and not much of anything else, then sure, you take the swing on the superstar level player. So um, I really don't know anybody in this in this like range from like five to eight that I would consider like swinging for the fences, unless you're talking Shaden Sharp or maybe Shaden Benedict, Sharp. Benedict Matherin, if you think he can become somebody great. Um, where, you know, you kind of have an idea of who Keegan Murray is as a player overall, but you never know with the draft. I think at this point, you just have to trust your big board and hope that it pays off. Yeah, I mean, look, you also need, uh, you know, uh, a knowledgeable draft crew. Like, like these guys need to – obviously, things need to make sense, but you also need to have, like, a, a team that knows what they're talking about. Say, say the Pacers fell to, like, seven, and you're looking at, like, Hey, Johnny Davis put up 20 points per game this year, or there's Shaden Sharp. Like guys like Johnny Davis come along all the time. And I'll eat my words if I'm wrong on that. But if it comes down between like a Johnny Davis or a Shaden Sharp, I'm swinging for the absolute fences on Shaden Sharp, knowing that this guy just didn't get to showcase his talent this year, but he's every bit as talented as you can hope for compared to a guy like Johnny Davis, who was a sophomore, you know, a really good player, but. You know, we also have some other guards over there, and, and I just feel like he doesn't seem like a maybe a true franchise player. But, hey, we'll have to wait and see how the chips fall. Absolutely, and I think, unfortunately, the next question that we have is pretty much the same thing we just talked about, Fachi. So <laughs> uh, just read the question real quick, and then we'll just kind of close yeah, our yeah, thoughts sure. out. <laughs> DJ Davis, loyal listener, always appreciate you, DJ. He said, let's say we pick five to nine. Did the Pacers play it safe? Keegan Murray, Johnny Davis, or go with more upside, Shane Sharp or Benedict. <laughs> I didn't look at this one ahead. Wow. I that, that's that's literally the names that we just mentioned. Pacers don't get to pick this high often. Another thing I touched on. Got to be smart and swing for the fence, in my humble opinion. So, DJ, you basically just entered yourself into our conversation here to throw out your opinion and say that, hey, uh, in my humble opinion, I disagree with you, Alex. I'm swinging for the fences. Um, but I, I think at the same time, it's just – you have to be smart, which I agree with you saying that you got to be smart here and you got to think which player makes the most sense for us. Because if you do pick five through nine and the player you pick is a bust like a Jonathan Bender, then at that point, you just wasted your pick, you know, and, and at this point, the Pacers can't really afford to waste their pick because they need to hit on this pick. So I think, like I said, make your big board. You've been scouting these guys all year long. Trust your scouts. You pay them money for a reason. Trust them. Trust Carlisle's intel when he goes through all the workout draft process. 
go through the combine, everything, the tournament, you've seen all this footage. Don't overthink it. Trust your big board. Take the best player on your big board. Yeah, I mean, you definitely got to have the, the, the right scouts around. Trust your big board for sure. Uh, you know, DJ, I'm with you. Swinging for the fences over here. But, you know, obviously, <laughs> if you're swinging for the fences, we, we this picks everything. It yeah. really is. But I, I stand by it. Don't know when the next time we're going to be back here. Unfortunately, there's a chance I could be next year. But based on the Pacers' history, it just feels like, hey, this is it. You got a guy like, like Shaden Sharp who they're saying could have potentially gone number one next year. You have an opportunity to get him at maybe a pick that's not crazily desirable, say six, seven, something like that. It's hard to turn that down compared to some guys that you do see every year, you know, year in, year out. But it's just we're looking for a franchise player at this spot, not a this guy can be a, a consistent, you know, rotational starter for us because at that point we got, you know, $25 million in cap space. We got other picks over there. You could look to draft a rotational player at 18, potentially maybe a guy that could develop into a starter. But when you're picking top five, top six, you've got to be trying to hit a franchise player. Right, right. And I, I agree with that, Fachi. So let's move on to at Shady underscore Buffalo. This is David Cole. You guys heard him a couple. Actually, I think it was last Monday you guys heard him on uh, the podcast with me. And he said, congrats on 400 episodes, guys. The commitment and passion has paid off. He said, question, what year do you think the Pacers will be back in the Eastern Conference Finals? And what players, if any, will be on that hypothetical team? Ah, oh, man. First off, David, I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for filling in. Uh, but you got to love being at the lowest depths that the franchise has been in like 30 years. And so I'm like, when are we getting back to the conference finals? It's like, yeah, when, when are we going to be 500 again? You know? So at, at this point, I, I mean, just to not be like the Grinch, maybe I'll throw out a like uh, six years. I mean, I'm just going to throw out that 2028. Yeah, because at that point, if I was like, oh, give it 10 more years, people would be like, all right, you know what? I'm picking a new team. So at this point, <laughs> And then when you mentioned players that could be there, I mean, I'm going to say Halliburton and this draft pick, because other than that, I can't guarantee you that anyone else is going to be here six plus years from now. Duarte will be literally like 30, uh, you know, miles next contract. Coming into his prime, bro. Yeah, very much, you know, we hope, but miles next contract will have ran out by then, um, you know, anyone else, you don't know if they're still going to be there. So, I'm just hoping, you know, I think we got to start asking when's the next time we're going to make the playoffs before we ask when's the next time we make the conference finals. Hey, we'll get out know, of the first round. Hey, he's he just wants to know when we're going to actually be important again because at I this know, point we we haven't made the Eastern Conference Finals since when, 2014, Fachi? Yep, that, that 2013 20, season. Yeah, 2013-2014 we made it. We lost to the Heat in six. So – you're saying 14 years from then is how long it'll take for us to get there. Oh, man, when you really put it in that light, it sounds horrible. Yeah, so I Ooh. think the last time the Pacers made the Eastern Conference Finals was, what, 2000? Before that, I mean, before 2014 was 2005? Well, no, it was the year before we had the back-to-back -back run. No, 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 I meant, like, okay. before okay. that era of Pacers. I'm talking – excuse me, I'm talking – Back in Jermaine's day, right? 2004. So that 2003-2004 season is when we won 61 games, went to the conference finals. Um, and then the next year is obviously the brawl, and we lost in the second round. Second round against yep. the Pistons. So, yep. so, yeah, so just thinking about that, so it was 04, and then it took us all the way back to what? 20, so, I guess 2013, average, so nine years. Yeah. 
we technically should have been there by this year. So, uh, but that doesn't happen. So uh, the last time we made it was 2000 before that. So 2000 to 2004 was four years. 2004 to 2013 was nine years. So if we're oh, doing man. like these weird math. Don't tell things, me 18. Um, I'm not saying 18, but that was a, a five-year gap. And then it went from a five-year gap to a nine-year gap. So we're talking like. It's getting uh, close to doubling. I will just say 2026 is my guess. Okay. <laughs> I think said, everybody would take that. If, you said 2028. I'll say 2026. I think Halliburton's on the roster. I think Chris Duarte's on the roster. I think Isaiah Jackson is on the roster. And I think our first round draft picks from this year's draft are on the roster. Other than that, I'm not banking on anybody. <laughs> hey, I would kill to be wrong. So I really hope that we're talking, you know, hey, even before 2026, crazy things can happen. I guarantee you, if you asked Hawks fans before last year, when do you think we'd make the conference finals? They probably would be like, ah, uh, you know, maybe five more years, three, three to five more years. They made it out of nowhere. So crazier things can happen. However, the top of the East is a scary place. And uh, the bottom of, of the East, you never want to be hanging out with the Orlando Magic and, and the Detroit Pistons at this point. And that's unfortunately where we are. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to our next question because I rambled way too long uh, with my answer. <laughs> Hey, next question, Pacer Faithful, uh, another friend of the show, someone who's been on for a fan of the week. We appreciate you both. Chuck and Jamie. Yep, 400 episodes. Thank you for all the work you both do, and congrats on the milestone. Here's my question. Is it smart to extend Turner, regardless whether we see him as a long-term piece for the future to ensure we don't lose him for nothing in free agency? Um, and then also they followed up by saying, assuming he'll extend for close to his current number. So I said this I said this about Brogdon and didn't really – uh, seemed like it would be a big deal um, to extend Barag that I didn't think it was going to impact his trade value. And I, I kind of feel similarly to Miles, but at the same time, I will say this, Brogdon, his personality is much more harder to predict. I will say this with Turner. Turner just wants to be wanted. That's yeah. that's the bottom line. Like, Turner likes Indiana. I mean, so it's got nothing to do with being in a small market. He's a Texas guy that played uh, high school and college basketball there, and he's been here since he got drafted, and he's you know, there's been some compliments or comments, excuse me, uh, that he's made, uh, you know, that have been kind of contradictory over the past couple of months in terms of like wanting to be here, then deleting this post, like all that stuff. I'm not going to get into it, but I think any team that trades for Turner has aspirations of making a playoff run, right? You know, obviously we always go back to Charlotte, but it's like, if we traded him to Charlotte, Charlotte desperately wants him at the starting center position. He feels that. I think he's going to be like, okay, cool. I'm going to extend here. So I don't think it's going to scare teams away. But I do think that just coming off the injury and him being an unrestricted free agent for next season will maybe hurt his value a little bit heading into the offseason. So I would be surprised more so if he's traded before the season starts. I would expect him to be traded more around the deadline if he does return on the roster. But yeah, I, I don't think that extending him is necessary, and I think that we should really give him the chance to kind of prove himself with this group before we're investing heavy money into him. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm with you. I, I can't give out an extension until until I see him as the loan center, you know, trying to fulfill the, the dream or the prophecy or of so many Pacer fans saying, hey, if you let him be the main center and he gets the same type of touches that Sponis gets, not even needs to be the same, but just as featured, 
I need to see that because year in, year out, we're getting a hair under 13 points and just below seven rebounds year after year. This is seven years in. He is truly a great human being. When you take that out of it, it's a business. And the facts are the man has played just under 90 games in the last two seasons. Over his seven seasons, at best, we're hoping for 75% of the season that he can play. But lately, like you mentioned, it's actually been closer to 50%. Um, is he the best shot blocker on the planet? Maybe. Jaron Jackson, also really up there. But there's so much more to the game than just that. And this is a guy that he's known as, hey, one of the best stretch shooters of it. He's a sub-35% three-point shooter. I know it's harsh, but it would feel like, hey, what if he – was a higher percentage, but not getting enough touches. But the percentage isn't there. And the cap's going up. I don't think he's going to want $18 million per year. It's only right to probably say, hey, could could he be asking for, you know, in that 20 to $25 million range? Uh, given I, – I know. but given five is way too much. It's, it's way too much. But then you settle in at like 22 at that point. That's, that's still more than I'm willing to commit. If you were going to do a four-year – $22 million per year deal. You're talking about four years, $88 million. Do you feel comfortable extending Turner at that right now? Now for four years, I'll give him a two-year extension, but I ain't giving you, him a four-year extension. You think he's going to take a two-year extension when this is his opportunity to cash in for four? I mean, Brogdon did, right? Brogdon did, but I think for Turner, I, I think so, I think other teams could use him better, and I think that there will be better offers than there would have been for Brogdon out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. I'm not sure exactly what Turner wants or how I feel about it, but I think it's a good conversation. It, it's a great conversation. It could go either way and we could have people come on and, and debate it. I agree with you. He wants to be wanted. He wants to have a bigger role. All of that is completely reasonable to ask for. But when we sit here and, and people bash the front office for investing in players with injury histories, we would be doing it right again. And at this point, I'm not in a rush to give him a contract extension, but I do want to see him as the main center. So bring him back, see what's out there. I don't think that we're going to be able to get the same type of offers come the, the draft that we used to get, where it was I mean, at one point the fourth overall pick was being dangled for Turner. Um, so the value in a trade might not be there to the point where it's like, hey, this is a great trade for the Pacers. So maybe you do go into the season with Turner, give him that opportunity, and then you can revisit at the deadline. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I was telling my friends today, I said, I'm kind of talking myself into, like, wanting to see Turner in this role next to Halliburton as a solo center. Because, you know, like, I I was pretty much sold on him being the one traded, right? I think everything that was reported kept saying that, and the injury happened. And I think think that Sabonis being traded was always a, a stronger possibility than maybe we gave it credit for. But... At the same time, I think that Turner's injury did really enhance that. But Definitely. regardless, regardless, I, I still think that you talked about his shooting numbers going down, and, I, and I've talked about that on social media. It's like, look, he's not been a great three-point shooter over the last couple of years. But I do feel like with this system and playing with Halliburton, Halliburton's a willing passer. We know that almost too much to a certain degree. But yep. Sabonis was too. But at the same time, Sabonis was clogging up a lot of the paint, clogging up a lot of the middle, where I think Turner could – be a little bit more utilized with Halliburton, whether he's running pick and roll, whether he's, you know, being a stretch big or whether he's in the ducker spot a little bit more. I think there's opportunities here for Miles to be more involved in different spots of the offense now that Sabonis is gone. So I do want to see it, but at the same time, 
just giving any type of money, any type of commitment is a little bit scary if you're not sure he's the guy. I mean, he's been in trade rumors the last three years, right? So you have to put that in the back of your mind too. Like, do the Pacers really want him long-term? Why have they contemplated trading him for the last three years? And if you go back to that athletic article, Kevin Pritchard said, when he's a free agent, there's going to be a lot of suitors out there. It's going to be tough. Didn't make any commitments saying we want him. It was just like, uh, well, we'll see what happens. But, <laughs> you know, it was almost like, they were okay with it. And so not saying that's what they really want because clearly he's the guy they have right now, but I still think it's up in the air, Fauci. All right, moving on, Fauci. Aaron Grissel has a trade idea here, and he wants me to read this trade idea and get our thoughts on the deal. So I'll read it here real quick. Hopefully getting my Brogdon trade idea before you guys are inundated with fake trades this offseason. But in my opinion, New Orleans could be a big player for Brogdon. I brought that up quite a bit myself, uh, Aaron, but I think uh, Aaron says that he thinks that he fits great next to CJ McCollum and is a clear upgrade over Devontae Graham. So here's the deal. The Pacers receive Devontae Graham, Larry Nance Jr., and the Lakers' first-round pick. The Pelicans receive Malcolm Brogdon. This idea would assume McConnell is moved in a separate deal as Graham gives us the shooting Carlisle covets. Graham is a solid player, but is probably best served as a six-man. Nance is on an expiring deal serving as cap filler and brings value to the Pacers on the court and the trade deadline. The Pelicans don't own their pick, but the Lakers pick is likely top 12. If you're the GM of the Pacers, do you make this deal? So it's very intriguing. I'll tell you why. Right now, that Lakers pick is a top 10 pick. So the Pacers had an opportunity to have the fifth and the 10th pick. That's really appealing. Um, then for Brogdon, I mean, I, I've told you, I, I'm a fan of in terms of, hey, I, in order for Tyrese Halliburton to truly grow and develop into who we need him to be, I, I don't think Brogdon can be there. So in order to do this trade, McConnell, like you mentioned, he's got to be moved because we can't bring in another point guard over there. It would be too many. Uh, I think Devontae Graham would, would fit better than McConnell would uh, in Carlisle's system. I think he'd be good off the bench. Money-wise, looked at it, he's making, you know, it's like a, it's just over $11 million per year, so it's actually half of what Brogdon's making. And then Larry Nance, you're rolling the dice on a one-year at $10 million. So having potentially the fifth, the tenth, the 18th overall pick with a young team, that's a lot of ammunition right there. You can get some really good players. I'm in favor of it. I, you've talked about before that you do think that Brogdon's a good fit in New Orleans. I agree. I think this is a move that that helps both teams out. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think one of the things here that you can look at with this trade, it's like Devontae Graham still has some good basketball left to him, but you are taking a major downgrade because – Oh, yeah, it, no doubt about it. Top five players on this Pacers team right now, the case can be made that Brogdon is still number one very above welcome. Halliburton. Um, I think some would probably have him in that like two to four range just because it would put Halliburton first because of potential, but – with that being said, I think Brogdon is potentially our best player. And Rick Carlisle has said that. So you're really taking a nosedive here in terms of like not getting great value back. But I do like Devontae Graham. I do like Larry Nance. And I do think that the first pick of the Lakers first is very intriguing. So if I'm the GM, I'm definitely keeping this offer in my back pocket as a potential trade that I would accept. But I think if I'm Indiana, I would prefer a little bit more for Brogdon if it's me. So I know beggars can't be choosers, but, you know, if you get a top 10 pick, like you said, 
you get number 10 and you get number five, that really does speed up the rebuild into a certain degree. If you're able to hit on a player that you really like, if you think they're going to be there at 10, but if you think it's going to be a safe pick, like a Johnny Davis, then nah, I'm out. So um, if you're able to get five and 10 and use those to package them up, like you said, maybe to get into the top four, that too could be enticing, but I just don't really think anybody is going to be moving um, out of the top four in this draft for, for two picks out of the top four, kind of similar to last year's magic, having the five and eight picks. Nobody was trading out of that um, top three to, to give up five or eight. Yeah. I, I don't think we're getting into the top four with that, but I do think, you know, you can swing for the fences at five and then take potentially that safer, you know, good player with a lot of upside at 10 at that point. So it would be really intriguing. I, I think if you can get a top 10 draft pick for Malcolm Brogdon, given his injury history and the money owed to him, I, I think I think you got to do it. Devontae Graham, just the thing is he's never been an efficient player. Maybe you could end up moving his contract a little bit later, but it does still have like, he is owed like $35 million moving forward, but that's essentially half of what Brogdon's owed. So it's appealing. I'm for the for the trade, but just like you mentioned, we we sleep on Brogdon. When you look at this Pacers roster, he is very good. It's just a matter of like when you see Tyrese Halliburton play with Brogdon, I see a guy that's not really going to reach his max potential because Brogdon's going to be there. And if this Pacers team is going to go further, it's got to be with guys like Halliburton leading the pack. So that's yeah. why I make the move. Yeah, absolutely, Flatchy. So. Let's move on to our next question. You got it? Yep. So coming right up, we have Rick Magruder. He said, how do the Pacers climb out of mediocrity and finally restore order atop the Eastern Conference? Man, this is a tough one here. How do they climb out of mediocrity? They got to just continue to hit on their draft picks and make smart trades. I mean, honestly, you got to look at the, 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 the landscape here of the Eastern Conference. It's pretty loaded, Fachi. How do they match up to be able to be competitors in this Eastern Conference? How do they look at the rest of the league and say, we've got to hit on this? I think you've got to find the right veterans, similar to what even a Memphis did, even to what a Phoenix did. Obviously, you're not going to get a Chris Paul level player at this point, but you know, hitting on a veteran like a Jay Crowder, like that's a game changer. Patrick Beverly to Minnesota, that's a game changer. I think Steven Adams has done a really good job in Memphis this year, probably a lot better than anybody expected, right? I mean, Valanciunas was really good for him, but Steven Adams brings a totally different, you know, totally different dynamic to that team. And they've really flourished. And it's not just because of him. Obviously, they've got good young players, but I think you need a good mix of really good young players that you can build your team around. And it doesn't even have to be like top five picks. I mean, you just got to hit on your draft picks, period. Some of these guys like Desmond Bain, they were drafted late in the first round. So that's that's what I'm saying. It's just like when it comes down to it, hitting on your draft picks and getting the right veterans in there to, to blend with your roster. Number one is you have to nail this draft pick. If the Pacers miss on this pick, I, I, I truly think everything could crumble from there. Because if the Pacers get someone that – you know, is not even like a, a, a true everyday starter at five or anything like that. I, I just don't know when you're – I think you're back on that mediocrity train of, you know, competing for the play-in type of thing, but you're just really not that good. This needs to be a massive pick for the Pacers. But also, you know, then it comes from there is you have to develop your youth. Guys like Halliburton need to take the next step. 
We talked about it. When it, this guy, when he got traded here, it was he's got every bit of the potential to be a multiple time all star. Well, if he doesn't reach his full potential, Pacers are going to be their growth is going to be stunted as a team. But then there's other guys. There's Chris Duarte. Can Duarte does he have a next level? Can he continue to go? What about Isaiah Jackson? Can he grow into something? We see all the potentials there, but can these guys put it together? Because if they all come back next year a little bit better or you know noticeably better, and then you get a, a really good uh, a player that can change this team at, at the fifth overall pick or wherever you may pick, things could speed up a lot faster because it's a weak free agency class. I can't promise that anyone's really coming. We'll yeah. sign someone, but is it someone of significance? I can't promise that. So our money, I don't know. But the, the Pacers have always acquired talent through trade. So you have an opportunity to take on a contract. Now you also have some picks. So you could dangle that 18th and 31st pick and you have the cap space to absorb a contract. Or maybe that's how you go about getting some more talent. So yeah. there, there's ways over here, but it starts. And make no mistake, number one is hitting this pick. I think you can make an argument. This is the biggest Pacers pick, the most important pick. And God knows long. I don't want to keep saying 30 plus years, but it's at the point of like, I don't know when there's ever been the heavy expectations of, man, if the Pacers don't nail this 18th overall pick, they're done. You know, it's like, this is it. This is huge. You look at Paul George, 10th overall, boom, they hit it. That, that was big. You look at Miles Turner, 11th overall, definitely a hit. But at this point, this is bigger than that. This is the team being at the bottom of the standings, picking higher than they've picked in quite some time. Man, you got to knock this out of the park. Yeah, you need a Reggie Miller, Paul George, Danny Granger level you of hit it. here in the draft. Yep. You can't, you can't get another Miles Turner. No offense to Turner, but no offense, no offense, but we're looking for an All Star here. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what goes back to what DJ Davis and those guys, uh, Chris of Proud, were asking. You know, like swing for the fences or safe pick. It's like no, there's obviously guys that have been drafted late that have been good players too, like really good players. Like obviously Draymond Green, Jokic were in the second round. I think Dylan Brooks was even in the second round, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and he was a really good player. And then Davion Mitchell was late lottery. So, I mean, there's guys from all over the place where you can look at, like, Reggie Miller was pick 11, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. It was. Mm -hmm. Paul George was 10. So it's like, sure, if you get a top five pick, you should be able to find a player. You just got to find the right player and hope it's not another A dragon bust. bender, you yeah. know, fourth overall. Mario Hazonia. <laughs> yeah, you look at some of those guys and you're like, man, he, he, he can't even play. So, I mean, that would be the most devastating thing for the Pacers to get a guy that – can't even play but like at this point it's like that's why you got to do all your research hope the scouting department's right everything has to be perfectly put in place because people's jobs are on the line for this pick yeah absolutely so let's move on to our next question we got two questions left this one comes from randy he said i'm wondering about the futures of miles turner and malcolm brogdon and if there are teams wanting to trade for them around draft time as long as they're healthy. Fachi, what are your thoughts on that? I think the Pacers are definitely going to be taking calls on Turner and Brogdon. Look, there's a chance that both of them could be moved, but I would also be surprised if both are back because if the Pacers bring both guys back, then it feels like, hey, it's like, well, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're kind of running it back with what we had over there. But at the same point, I, I think it's probably more likely that Brogdon's moved just because he wasn't eligible to be moved last year. So teams weren't calling about him. It wouldn't have made any sense. 
So I think for Turner, I do think similar to what we spoke about before is I want to see him as a lone center. We kind of, I want to say we owe him that, but it's like, there's so much of the fan base and everything and miles that like, we want to see him as the, as the center. So to just not see it at all makes you kind of always wonder, Hey, well, what if, and obviously this Pacers team, they know the team better than we or any of the fans do. But I think for Brogdon at this point, you know what Brogdon is. He's a good player. Is he going to lead us to a championship at this point? No. Uh, but I, th- I think that he fits a lot of teams, and a lot of teams he could help win a championship. So I think a lot of teams should be interested in Brogdon. No, and I think I think teams will be interested in both. They will. I'm, sh- I'm sure if Brogdon was healthy at the deadline, he would have been dealt. If they're, I, mean, I agree, I agree. There's teams that and would eligible, love, of course, right? Eligible. He wasn't eligible. He was ineligible, actually. So yeah, that's a that's a really that's a really interesting topic that hasn't been discussed that much but just imagine if he had been healthy like who would have called for him who would have traded for him brogdon's a good player you talked about it earlier Fachi. we under appreciate brogdon we undervalue him and what he brings to the table now i think like i said earlier rick carlisle was overhyping him a little bit but he still is a good player he's not going to lead you to a championship he can't stay healthy enough he plays in maybe 60 percent of the games throughout the regular season when he's healthy but at the same time, you know, that's still more than than less. And, and you're hoping he can play in the playoffs. I mean, I actually thought he looked pretty good the one year we saw him against Miami in the bubble. It was more so just like T.J. Warren really struggled against Jimmy Butler, and that was a tough matchup for him. No Sabonis. Caused their offense to be a little bit stagnant. Billy Duroladipo wasn't himself. And then Turner, Turner was decent in that series. I think he played well the last three games of it. The first game, he was not very good, but... You know, Brogdon was probably, if I'm not mistaken, our most consistent player in the playoffs a couple of years ago. So any team that does acquire him is going to find some value in him. And, you know, that's why the Pelicans team could make sense. I think the Knicks could make a lot of sense. Just a lot of opportunities there for the Pacers to uh, to find something for him if they feel like they need to go in a different direction with the current roster. Turner, it's going to be a little bit more difficult because it's a lot easier to replace a guard in this league than it is to replace a big man. When there's not a lot of big man options, if you trade Turner, who are you bringing in that's going to give you equal to value? You're going to tell me Isaiah Jackson's ready right now? No, he's not. Jalen Smith? Okay. Maybe there's some potential there. Goga? No way. You're going to draft Mark Williams in the the draft and think he's going to be ready? I highly doubt a first-round draft pick is going to be ready at pick 18 in this year's draft. So you got to be really careful here. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's just – Looking at the potential center positions, uh, players, in the, I mean, look at Charlotte. They've been wanting a center for forever. They get Montrezl Harrell and Mason Plumley, and sure, they're in the play-in tournament, but they clearly need some help there. I, I just think you have to be smart and take the best offers that are there if, if they really help your team. But, you know, you, you cannot regress because this team has to get better defensively, and I would say that Turner and Brogdon are probably two of their better defenders. Um, they definitely are. It, it, we're we're in a, a tight situation where short term, you know, might not get better. Probably don't, but maybe it's it's going in a direction where we can get better longer term. We got to wait and see right over there. For Brogdon, I just feel like, you know, when the Pacers made that sign trade for Brogdon, expectations were, they were pretty big. I mean, I, the direction of the team was obviously different. I just think at this point, you don't want to be kind of suffering through a rebuild with a guy who's, you know, kind of hurt, but older and his, his timelines you know, different than, than maybe some of the other players on the team. And we're doing him a, a disservice. I, I do think there's, like I mentioned, Brody could fit a lot of teams while also being able to 
bring back some longer term needs for us. So we're going to have to wait and see how that shakes out. But this offseason, I mean, there's a lot on the table. You, you really can't say anyone's safe other than maybe Halliburton. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I would I'd probably Duarte. Um, you, you you would think so. Like, look, like we shouldn't be in a rush to trade Duarte or Isaiah Jackson or anything like that. But it just feels like, hey, like, you know, if, if Turner was traded, would it be the biggest shock in the world? No. If Brogdon was traded, would it be the biggest shock in the world? No, it wouldn't because we just saw half of our team traded. So we're going in a different direction. And it this is what happens with a rebuild. But when you look at the Pacers' history, I mean, how often have they have they willingly done this? They really haven't. We were forced to, like, rebuild when the brawl happened. But other than that, they've always tried to kind of band-aid it up and be like, hey, let's get back out there and see if we can get to succeed, you know? And it, it just hasn't worked out. No, absolutely, Fachi. So are you ready for our last question? I'm ready. All right, hit me with it. What do you got? All right, so this is, uh, this is I believe it's Ed Lolly. Ed Lolly. Um, yep, Ed Lolly said, good morning. This is just a basic question to you. Pacers get the, the fifth pick in the lottery. Uh, is it is trading the fifth, the Cavs pick, and the Houston pick enough to move to three or four? I know the order will matter, but in general, would it be enough or would it take more, in your opinion? Good question. So let me reread this because I got to make sure I'm on pace with you. So um, if you have an answer, go ahead and give it to me. Yeah, I'm just going to say, look, uh, there's a solid drop-off after three or four, went to five. You start to get into that uh, nothing's a guarantee at that point. When you look at the teams that are that are above us, you know, the, the Rockets, the Pistons, the Magic, the Thunder – I don't think those teams are going to be in a rush to move down and acquire 18 and 31. The Rockets, as an example, already have the 14th pick. So I don't think they, they're in a rush to get 18. Then you look at teams like the Magic, who literally just had the fifth and eighth pick. They have so much young talent over there that I don't think that they're going to be in a rush to acquire, you know, more picks that that aren't like locks. And then even OKC, they already have just way too many picks. I mean, they own the Clippers pick right now, which is scheduled for 15. Um, then they already have a zillion, like more picks than anyone's ever had coming up. So I, I don't think that it's enough, unfortunately. I think you'd have to be looking at trading, you know, a guy like Tyrese Halliburton or, or you know, definitely like a Miles Turner. And at that point, man, would you, are you going to mortgage so much to move up one spot? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if those three like I, I feel like I keep repeating myself, but those three picks to me just don't seem like enough to get into the top four. It's unless not. unless there's a team like OKC that's like we like Shaden Sharp better than we like Jaden Ivey or Paolo or Jabari or Chet. So we're gonna go ahead and make that deal. We're gonna do three for one. We're gonna take Shaden at five, and then we're gonna have picks 18 and 31 to play with. Like that's a possibility. I think they're kind of a wild card because they did draft Josh Giddy out of nowhere last year at the six overall pick. But with that being said, it's just very difficult for me to see that. And um, there was another question that Ed sent that I totally forgot to send to you. He I sent it to me about two weeks ago, and I forgot to do it on that last mailbag. And so um, I wanted to do it with you because he said he wanted uh, me and you to answer this one. So I was waiting for you to get back. I'm back. He said, let's assume it's draft day and the Pacers have the fourth pick. However, Jaden Ivey, Jabari Smith, and Paulo Boncaro are off the board. We can't trade up. Pacer Nation has a siding vote. 
you and Fachi have to convince and sell Pacer Nation on taking Chet Holmgren. This oh good, my! Good luck. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely not going to be easy given our our history and you know uh, a ton of ton of white players that we've had in the past that you know have not been stars. But hey, I would just say if you go by the numbers, Chet Holmgren actually did have a historic freshman season. He really did. He, he's he's got the length. Uh, this is a guy that you know. I mean, he's he's a great shot blocker. He he's a great rebounder. He's he's you know going to be a really good scorer. Seven footers like him, you know, that he don't come along often. But at the same point, <laughs> this bay, it's a tough sell right now because. This Pacer fan base, they're, they're rowdy right now. I mean, they they want to believe in a franchise guy. Chet might not have that appearance, but I do think that that when you talk about ceilings, he's got one of the highest ceilings, if not the highest ceiling, I think, in this draft. All right, here's my best sales pitch for you, Fachi. Are you ready for this? What do you got? Sell me. Okay. Chet Holmgren is, a, is essentially who everybody thought Jonathan Bender would eventually become. Jonathan Bender in high school was 6'11", 205 pounds. He averaged 23 points, 15 rebounds, five block shots, and four assists for, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his high school's name, but it was in Mississippi, okay? He dropped 31 points in the McDonald's High School All-American game in 1999 and blocked three shots in 31 minutes for the West team. This man was going to be a different changer and was a very – early version of what everybody ended up seeing Kevin Durant to be. This is what Jay Billis had to say about him. Bender is slim and is not particularly strong. Bender can post up, but does not have great footwork or power moves because he is a superior athlete with perimeter skills. He often floats at the perimeter instead of establishing himself in the post defensively. Bender can block and change shots, but does not have the bulk to keep most NBA big man off the block to deny the post. Bender will not be an immediate impact player, but could wind up, maturing much the way Tracy McGrady has in Toronto. Okay. That was Jay Billis on Jonathan Bender. There's been a lot of talk about the size, the weight of a man in Chet Holmgren. What if I told you Chet Holmgren can hold his own in the post against today's NBA bigs? Not Jokic, not Embiid, but the other 28 teams, 27 teams, he can do it. He's also a terrific three-point shooter and he has the ability to impact the game, even though when in college with Drew Timmy as the team's go-to player, Mark Few was holding him back. Mark Few was not letting Chet Holmgren be Chet Holmgren. He was having to feed Drew Timmy in a slowed-down offensive style. I feel like if you put Chet Holmgren on the Indiana Pacers and give him the opportunity to play alongside Tyrese Halliburton and be more free, Halliburton is going to find the potential in Chet Holmgren to make him a player that Mark Few never saw that he had. I mean, that hey, is my sell. That's quite quite the you know quite the sales pitch over there. I mean, we are talking about this guy was literally the number one recruit. I mean, Chet Holmgren was fantastic. When you go by the numbers, elite defensively, but also you're talking about a guy that he literally just shot thirty nine percent from three. So I think it's a, it's an underrated part of his game. Yes, there is a lot of – you never want to compare someone to Kevin Durant because it feels unfair because you're talking about one of the greatest scorers of all time. Uh, but there's a, a lot of similarities over there. Probably starts with the lankiness over there, but at the same point, he's going to be able to grow. He's going to develop. He's going to fill out a little bit. But there's a lot of great qualities over there that are special. 
So I do think that the Pacers have a, a big opportunity over here if that ever presented itself. But that would also, you know, having uh, Chet uh, do quite the the nosedive in the draft. So we might never get an opportunity. But Alex, if you were going door to door pitching Chet Holmgren jerseys, I think you'd sell quite a few. Hey, you know what? I worked on it as we were as we were talking because. I thought that was the question I sent you. And then when you read the other question, never got it. <laughs> I was taken aback and I was like, man, why didn't he ask that question about Chet? I was like, no, nope. oh, shoot. I screenshotted the wrong question for you. But regardless, Ed is always sending me questions for the podcast. And so I had happened to send you the wrong one. But uh, my original thought was imagine if Austin Crozier was seven foot tall oh, and could man. play defense. <laughs> hey, yeah. you know, that might be worth the contract that we gave him, but. Uh, yeah, that ended up being a terrible contract. But anyway, Fachi, part two was officially over. I thank everybody for their questions. I thank everybody for allowing us to answer these. Episode 400, any final thoughts before we sign off? Hey, episode 400, you know, 401, uh, just, just an unbelievable milestone. I mean, like I, I've said this time and time again, this show is long done without you guys. I love the questions. Really just, it makes me feel like we're all in this together. This ain't a tank that just Alex and I are going through. We're going through it together. So these are are rough times, but fellas, just wait until, just like David said, we're back on top in the Eastern Conference Finals. All right. It might be six years. It could be eight. I don't know. But there's going to be a time when we're back on top. And, man, it's going to be fun. And I can't wait for that time. And we're all going to remember who was there with us. And it's each and every one of you that sends these questions in. We really appreciate you. They're going to remember the day they play the Titans. Yep, yep. <laughs> man, you got some Disney movie references coming out there with your speeches, Fachi. Got some hey. High School Musical. Got some uh, Remember the Titans. But with that being said, 400 episodes. Wow. I still cannot believe we're here it's only March 28th this year, so we got plenty more to get to, and I think that a lot of fans are going to be excited for the future of this show as we continue to have more incredible things to talk about as this team has finally decided purgatory was enough. They're working their way through this rebuild. They're going to get better. They're going to continue to give us more things to look forward to and less things to be you know, disappointed with. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful for the future of this team, but I don't want to get on too high of a cloud as uh you know the draft lottery will determine a lot for the future uh, of this team so all right Fachi, thanks again for for coming back on and uh finally wrapping up your honeymoon so we can do this podcast i'm sure your dog was very excited to have you back home after being gone for a couple of weeks the wedding looked awesome the pictures look great we we love you man we're so glad you're back but you got a job to do and that job is to tell the people where they can find us on social media Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok at setting the pace. And if you're excited to see the Pacers season almost be over with just seven games left, say these three words. Let's go, Pacers! <laughs>